Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Grandparents Day. Especially just want to welcome anyone that is visiting with us today. Maybe you're a grandchild or you're a grandparent and you've been dragged along to church with your family. We're really glad to hear it is a good day to be in church. We just hope that uh, you feel celebrated, honoured. Um, we recognise that all the stories that are in this room are really different. Um, but today is about celebrating you, blessing you, honouring you, praying for you. And uh, so we're really glad that you're here. We started a teaching series last week uh, on the life of Joseph. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Joseph is a, uh, a figure that we are introduced to in the very first book of the Scriptures, the book of Genesis. And his story is unpacked through quite a few number of chapters. Last week, Tim was down here and he spoke to you about uh, the journey from the promise to the pit. Well, I want to take us back a little bit today because today is Grandparents' Day and it is about family. And so I want to focus on family for a while this morning. Because ultimately the reason that Joseph's story is told in Scripture is that God uses Joseph and his family to be part of his own redemptive purposes. God is at work in the story of Joseph. And so we can find great encouragement as we read Joseph's story for our family. Now if God was going to choose a family through which he was going to work and act and bring about his redemptive purposes, it would be a pretty good family, right? It would be an upright family, it would be a family that was together, it would be a family that had no skeletons in the closet, it would be scandal-free, they'd be good citizens, that is what we'd expect, right, isn't it? I think we often think that, that if God was going to choose a family through which he was going to do something good and incredible, he would be looking for a really together and good kind of family. I reckon that's what we think. And some of us look at our own families and we're so aware of the mess in our family and we wonder whether God could actually do anything with the mess that is our family story. And we ask, is it actually possible for God to do anything good in the story that has become our family story? Well, if that's you, today as we look at Joseph's family, I think you're going to be encouraged. Now, a couple of weeks' time from now, or two months, uh, Christmas hits us. Who can believe it's less than two months until we hit Christmas? There's a lot to be done between now and Christmas. For all of us with kids at school, there's awards nights and break-up days and class morning teas and presents to get. For the teachers, any of us that are in a workplace, we probably have some kind of break-up party. There's a lot to do between now and Christmas, but in a few weeks' time, most of us We'll probably have a scene in our houses or in someone's house that resembles that which is behind me today because Christmas is a time when the family gathers. Now, every family Christmas is different. I don't know what your Christmas story is, but for many people, Christmas is a time when the family gathers. In a few weeks' time, there's going to be a table like this at my house. Ronnie will be at the end with a plate full of meat three bits of salad just to pretend that he's garnished his plate with something that's not carnivorous. My younger children will be looking at the turkey and the cranberry sauce and the prawns. 
with their noses scrunched up, wondering when the chicken nuggets are going to be ready for them. <laughs> Mum will have an endless glass filled with apple tizer. And Chrissy and I will just be having micro naps at the end of the seat, at the end of the table after a busy Christmas season. That's what it's going to look like at my house in a couple of weeks. But today I want to take us back a couple of thousand years to what Christmas Day might have looked like for Joseph's family. Now, before you start to write the email, I recognise that Christmas wasn't a thing in Joseph's time. Okay? I've got my biblical theology and ordering correct. Christmas is the celebration of Jesus' birth, and Joseph existed before the time of Jesus. I understand that. You're going to have to use your imagination. But the ancient Near East was very uh, familiar with family gatherings and festivals. So for the sake of today, we're just going to call it their Christmas lunch. You're also going to have to recognise that as I tell you this story today, there's some things at play that are very cultural, that are a little bit brash when we hear them, or a little bit, they grind us a little bit because we hear of, you know, people with multiple wives and families that are quite close in a whole bunch of different ways. We have to recognise that the story I'm about to tell you has a lot of cultural nuance attached to it that wasn't necessarily abnormal at the time, and that's okay. But everything I'm about to tell you is true to the story of Joseph and his family as told through a whole bunch of chapters at the back end of Genesis, from Genesis 25 for about the next seven and eight chapters. Now, I thought it would be a little bit more fun today to make today messy. And often I get to the end of these services and think that was a really bad idea. But I've got 10 helpers today. They're going to help create this scene for us. So I'm going to bring the first one. We've already met him on the stage this morning, but would you give Paul Kavanagh a welcome back to the stage? They tell you that in show business, you should never work with children and animals. At Gateway Ormo, they say you should never work with children, animals, or the ushers. But I am today going to invite two brothers up, Phil and Robin. Why don't you come and join me on the stage? Give these two a hand. Two more siblings that I'm going to welcome to the table, James and Alex Bignall. Just stand, I'll show you where to sit in just a moment. The lovely Lauren Priestley and the lovely Kate Sierra are going to come and help me this morning. And three fine strapping young gentlemen, Jake and Klein, Samuel Hardy and Caden Griffiths. Why don't you all come and join me at the table. Rightio. Phil, you can sit right here. Robin, you're at the opposite end to your brother. Cav, you're right in the middle here. I'm going to bring the Bignall boys to these two seats here. Jake, and you can sit next to Cab there. Ladies, why don't you come and sit right here? Samuel and Caden at this end of the table. Take a seat, everyone. Welcome to a messy family Christmas. Now, I need to uh, now get you to pretend that your identities as we know you are, are about to uh, come to an end. Cav is now Isaac. Popper Isaac. James and Alex, I know this won't make sense, but you're Leah and Rachel. (laughs) Kate, you're Bilhar. Lauren, you're Zilpah. Jake and you're Reuben. Samuel, you're Simeon. Caden, you're Naphtali. Robin, you're Esau. Oh, wonderful. And Philip, 
You're Jacob. <laughs> well, I don't know what the Usher family does at Christmas time with bonbons, but I might just have to sit up there like that. <laughs> Look at these two. <laughs> Has someone got some sticky tape? So, your identities that you walked into church this morning have now dropped and you now take on the uh, character that is on your hat. I told these guys didn't have to do anything. I also welcome them to eat and drink what's on the table. Please don't feel like you have to sit here awkwardly in front of the whole church. And uh, I've been there and I've done that, but feel free to pour yourself a drink because this is Joseph's family Christmas. Now, let me introduce you to all the people around this table. Right in the middle, the oldest of the crew is Grandpa Isaac or Grandpa Isaac. He's ultimately responsible for everyone else being at this table today. Now, if you read the Scriptures, Isaac was a child of promise. Most of us have heard of Father Abraham. Well, Isaac was Abraham's long-promised child that Abraham and his wife Sarah had in their old age and through which God had promised Abraham he was going to build a nation through his legacy. So here today is Grandpa Isaac. Now, Isaac had two brothers, uh, two sons, sorry, I lie. Two sons that were actually twins. The eldest of the twins was a man named Esau. Now, I'm just gonna pull up my notes to tell you what the Bible says about Esau. There's a lot that it says about Esau. Esau was named such because he was hairy. Now, I've asked, I've asked Robin, well, I just wanna play with that mullet there. I've asked Robin to keep his shirt on today, but just imagine underneath that shirt is a forest, right? He is a hairy man, hence his name. Now, the Bible tells us that Esau managed to be the oldest of the twins, came out, and Esau is a man, the Bible says, that as they grew, he became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. In other words, the man's man and the mummy's boy. <laughs> right. Now the Bible tells us that these two have a battle one day because Esau comes home from hunting and he's hungry. But Jacob is really smart and innovative and a little bit deceitful and convinces Esau to sell his birthright. In other words, his inheritance or his place in the family to Jacob. In other words, Jacob from now on is going to get to be the older child in the way he's treated and the way he receives the inheritance, which is a stupid thing for Esau to give up. But Esau's a hungry fella. And the Bible tells us that he came home from the field hungry and his brother convinced him to sell his birthright for a bowl of stew. <laughs> the other thing we find out about Esau is he's got a family that his family didn't like. So Esau, when he was 40 years old, married Judith, the daughter of Beeri the Hittite, and also Basemath, daughter of Elon the Hittite. Listen to this. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. In other words, there's a reason that Esau doesn't have the rest of his family at the table today, because no one else here liked them. So we move to Jacob. We've already found out that he's the mummy's boy, the favourite of the family. Some people might call him golden. <laughs> but Jacob works out that he's ripped off his brother. There's a reason they're at opposite ends of the table, right? Because he's deceived his brother and sold his birthright. More than that, the Bible tells us that one day while Esau's out hunting, Jacob comes to his father Isaac that's now struggling to see 
and asked for Isaac's blessing. Now, again, there's a lot of cultural nuance in here, but this wasn't just a prayer blessing over me. This was a significant moment where in the family, the father's blessing was given usually to the eldest son. But Jacob one day, with the help of his mother, because remember, he's a mummy's boy, dresses up, puts some fur on his arm to pretend to be his older brother, goes to his father and receives the blessing. But Jacob is also pretty quick and works out that this isn't going to end so well because the Bible tells us this, that Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing that his father had given him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. (laughs) There's a reason, there's a reason these two are at the opposite end of the table. I'd like to see that one running after that one. Don't you reckon that would be a funny scene? I hear that it's happened. Chairs were thrown, apparently. But Jacob flees in fear of his life. And for years, hides out of fear of his brother. Actually, he flees to his uncle's house and hides in fear of his brother. And there's moments in the story through Genesis where it talks about Esau as he pursues Jacob with the intent to kill him because Jacob, his twin brother, had ripped off both his birthright and his blessing. Now, the story does tell us that there is a moment of reconciliation, but they go their separate ways. There's a a tense truce, but they're happy in the same room for each other. But for the sake of this Christmas day, we put them at the opposite ends of the table or things could still get messy. But it's when Jacob flees in fear of his life from Esau that his story takes a new turn. He ends up at the man named Laban's house and he notices Laban has two daughters. One daughter, Leah, the elder, and the other one, Rachel, the younger. Now listen to what the Bible says. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. (laughs) And Jacob was in love with Rachel and said to her father, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel, Laban said. It's better that I give her to you than some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. Listen to this. But they seem like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Oh. (laughs) Jacob obviously informed what was written in the scripture. I was a little... Kind of that's just a little vomit in my mouth type moment. Seven years of work felt like nothing for the hand of Rachel. Well, the story gets really messy because Laban actually deceives Jacob and gives the hand of Leah to him in marriage. And he realises that he's married the wrong sister. And Laban says, well, it's customary that you marry the eldest first. And so if you promise to work for another seven years, then you can marry the younger sister as well. Right, why are James and Alex up here? Let me just put that at rest because I know they're not female, but I as a pastor am not stupid enough to invite two ladies from our congregation to play the part of two siblings, one of which is the ugly, unwanted elder sister. (laughs) But I'm happy to do that with James. (laughs) So you're just going to have to pretend. Because these two, Leah and Rachel, are now married to Jacob. Married to sisters, that's going to work out well, isn't it? Well, it doesn't work out well. It gets really messy because Jacob 
really loves Rachel, but he's also married to his sister Leah. And the story now becomes filled with jealousy and envy and bitterness and deception and hatred. But we find out very quickly that uh, Leah um, starts having children for Jacob. So we get some of the children, but Leah knows that she's not the favourite wife of Jacob, that he, her, sis, his, her, her sister <laughs> is his favourite wife. So he, she starts having children with Jacob. The first one here, Reuben. You guys, <laughs> guys might need... We've got a counselling centre, guys. You might need therapy after this story today. Leah's and Jacob's eldest child is named Reuben. Now, Reuben means, if we have a look at it in the scripture, it actually sounds like the Hebrew word, for he has seen my misery. Because the Bible tells us this, that Leah became pregnant, gave birth to a son, and she named him Reuben, for she said, it's because the Lord has seen my misery, surely now that I've given him a son, my husband will love me. So this one gets named as a crack at him, about the fact that he's not showing enough attention to her and therefore I'll name my son in such a way that every time you ask, well, what does Reuben mean? Well, God saw my misery, didn't he? But then it goes on because then there's another son, Simeon, that comes. Now, Simeon, when Leah conceived and gave birth to him, said, I'm going to name him Simeon because the Lord heard that I am not loved. And so he gave me this one too. Named him Simeon. Simeon means God is the one who hears. You're starting to get the picture, right, that the names of the kids now are just, they're nice names, but they're also just little kind of pokes at someone at the table about the way they're not getting cared for. Leah goes on to have two more children at this stage, Levi and Judah. Judah comes into the story later, so just hold that name. But Leah and Jacob now have four children sitting at the table. The table wasn't big enough to bring everyone up in this story, right? It's just comfortable. Imagine there's some more kids up here. But the table's not big enough to add all the children, but Leah and Jacob now have four children together. But now the jealousy starts kicking in with Rachel because to have children was a big deal in this culture. And so Rachel goes to Jacob and says, when it says that when she saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. These two probably shouldn't be sitting with each other today. It's a bit messy. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. And then Jacob became angry with Rachel, and said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Then she said, well, here is my servant Bilhah. <laughs> Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and I too can build a family through her. And guess what Jacob does? Listens to Rachel's jealous moment and starts having kids with Bilhah. I, I just want to suggest something today, okay? Some free advice, free pastoral advice but if in a moment of anger, your wife says to you, this is not working, go and sleep with somebody else, don't do it. <laughs> it's not a good idea, it's very stupid, and it will blow up your marriage. But Jacob is not a very bright man. <laughs> Jacob, Jacob, you just don't, don't think about who's got the hat on. Just He goes and takes... His wife, Rachel's servant, Bilhah. Now, again, I said there's some cultural things in here. We kind of, like polygamous marriage was a thing. Servants to people was a thing. So these aren't kind of uncommon parts of the culture, but 
we see that the outcome of them is still very messy. So Bilhah then has some children with Jacob. Her children are named Dan, which means God has vindicated me, and Naphtali, because Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, I've had a great struggle with my sister and have won. So she named him Naphtali. In other words, this kid's sitting here to say to Uncle Auntie Leah, <laughs> I won. Because Rachel named him to have a crack at her. Who's enjoying Christmas lunch so far? <laughs> it gets better. Because then when Leah saw that she'd stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And the man is stupid <laughs> and keeps adding to his family. And then Zilpah gives Jacob two more sons, Gad and Asher. At that point, the story tells us that Leah starts having children again. Issachar and Zebulon, two sons, and then a daughter, Dinah. Now, Dinah's not at the table, and I just want to pause for a moment, because if you read this account, you're going to find out that Dinah, who is the daughter, the only, the only one we're told in this whole mix of family amongst 12 sons, that is born a daughter. And the Bible tells us that Dinah finds herself subject to a really traumatic experience at the hands of a man. Now, we don't have time to unpack that today, but I want to acknowledge that seated at this table is someone that's walked through significant trauma. It's another messy part of this family story. And in the midst of all of the mess at this table that's created by the people at this table, Dinah finds herself at the table, the victim of somebody else and their sin and their brokenness. And I want to rush past that today and I want to be glib about it because it's a really significant story and a really messed up one. But Leah now adds three more children, Issachar, Zebulon and Dinah to the table. And then we get to Rachel. Finally, it's your moment. <laughs> then God remembered Rachel and he listened to her and he enabled her to conceive and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. So she named him Joseph. Christmas lunch with Joseph's family. Granddad, twin brothers. His family's not there because they don't like his family. His family, he's here with his four wives, his 12, his 12 children. There's one more child that will be added to the story later through Rachel, a child named Benjamin. But this is a really messy family. There's twins, there's hatred, there's the pursuit. There's 12 kids, their names all mean something, usually to rub salt into part of the story. There's sexual miscontact, there's deception, there's anger, there's jealousy, there's envy. There's nearly every conceivable and identifiable sin at work in this family. And as Joseph's story continues to unfold, where we got to last week, we realise that as Joseph grows up, he's hated by his brothers, finds himself thrown into a pit and sold into slavery. There's other things at work. Reuben at some point goes and sleeps with his father's concubine. And if you don't know what a concubine is, all the grandparents we prayed for earlier today, we'd love to explain that to you over morning tea this morning. 
Leah and Rachel used the love of their husband and the intimate affection of their husband as a bartering and a bargaining tool. Like it is a great family that we've got around this table. What's one word that we would use to describe this family story? Messy. This is a messy family. This is a really messy family. Can you imagine Christmas at Joseph's family table. Now you guys can lay down your hats because thankfully I know all of you and none of you are like what I've just described. Thank you so much for being part of my little moment today. Would we give these guys a huge hand as they take their seats this morning. Thank you for being good sports. I said to all of them, can you be part of my little illustration this morning, but let me just warn you, I'm asking you, I'm not picking people because I'll end up with people I don't know and it's really hard with people I don't know to tell such a sordid story about the character that they're representing. Jimmy's just gonna move the tables back for me as we do that. We'll just take a pause for a moment. (laughs) What's Christmas gonna look like in your family story? Hey, why don't we give these guys a hand again as they take their seats. Thanks Al, Kate, Jimmy. Phil, Robin, Caden, Cav, Grandpa, thanks Lauren, Samuel, thanks Jaken. This is a messy family. So you think about your family, maybe the label you put on your family is messy. Some of you today are thinking, I thought my family was messed up. I think I've found one that takes the cake. Because Joseph's family was really really messy. And today's not about comparing who has the messiest family, but every one of us, when we look through the story of our own family history, at some point we'll find some mess, some pain and some brokenness. And maybe this upcoming Christmas season only adds to your misery because it's the time in your calendar when it brings all of those stories to the surface and reminds you once again of how messy your family actually is. Well, I want to bring some encouragement to you today out of Joseph's messy family. And it's this, God is at work in messy families. It's a very simple truth, but it's a very important one. Because despite the mess, the sin, the deceit, the violence, the envy, the jealousy, the rage, the deception, God doesn't walk away from Joseph and his family. God still speaks through, uh, through Isaac, through Jacob, through his children. God still acts. God still shows favour to this family. You know, sometimes we look at our own family and we feel like the behaviours and the actions and the story of our own family will actually stop God wanting to show goodness to us. But God in His grace likes to work in messy families. God is at work in messy families. I want to give you an action point for each of my statements that I want to make today. Yeah, God's at work in messy families. So what can you do? Let me give you something to take away, something to apply. I want to encourage you, if your family is messy, you've got an opportunity to keep God at the centre of your messy family. We can look at all the stories that surround it, but I want to encourage you that you can make a choice to keep God at the centre of your messy family story and to continue to show God's grace to your messy family. God's at work in messy families. More than that, the story of Joseph and his family tells us that God can redeem messy families. I don't want to give away the end of the story. 
But in the story of Joseph, we find out that the past is no author of the future. I mean, even in the messiest family, God can work miracles. Even in the messiest families, God can restore relationships. Even in the messiest families, past pain and brokenness can be healed and great legacies established. I don't want to spoil the end of Joseph's story, but God engineers a significantly redemptive moment in Joseph and his family, and he can do it in yours. Because God is at work in messy families and God can redeem messy families. What part can we play? Well, I encourage you already to keep God at the centre of your messy family. But secondly, I want to encourage you to commit your messy family daily to God in prayer. And to take every opportunity that is presented to you to share Jesus with your messy family. Thirdly, your messy family story doesn't have to become your story. Your messy family story doesn't have to become your story. You see, sometimes we, we start to feel like the legacy or the story of our past or the actions of our family or the reputation of our family or the brokenness of our family or what our family's always done or always been known for is going to become our legacy, going to become the determiner of our future. You know, some of us have embraced the generational brokenness of our own families and are now allowed their narrative to become ours. But I want to say this, your story and your family's story doesn't need to become yours. Let me pick up the story of Joseph from where we left it last week. Joseph had been taken by his brothers. Joseph had some dreams that said that his brothers would one day bow down to him. His brothers didn't like that. His brothers took him and threw him in a pit and ended up selling him into slavery to some Ishmaelites that wandered past the cistern where Joseph had been thrown. I mean, Joseph's life had come crashing down from a great moment of a high where he saw himself in a position of power and influence and greatness. I don't know what it was, but it was just kind of crazy, immature 17-year-old thinking that makes him go and announce to his family that he's going to be the leader one day. But his brothers didn't like it. Something about sibling rivalry that doesn't like it when one of the younger ones pops up and tells everyone else that he's going to be the greatest. And so his brothers take him and throw him in a pit and they sell him into slavery. But this is what the Bible tells us from that moment. Now, Joseph had been taken in slavery down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. Now the Joseph story takes on a whole new chapter and we'll see how God starts to work through Joseph, through Joseph's faithfulness, through Joseph's integrity, through Joseph's servant heart and nature to actually fulfil the dreams and promises that God had given to Joseph. See, Joseph had a really messy family, but Joseph's messy family and their story didn't need to become his story or legacy. I want to encourage you this morning to ask God to write a brand new story in you and the generations that will come from you. As you embrace your family story, 
but as you choose not to walk forward in the brokenness and the mess that may have come before you, that you'll write something brand new with the help of God in the centre of your story. I want to fast forward now from the time of Joseph to the time of Jesus. If you've ever read the Gospels, which are the first four books of the New Testament, they tell the story of Jesus. It it feels like a funny start. Matthew chapter 1, the very first book that tells the story of Jesus, starts with this long family history. The Bible and ancient cultures were really interested in genealogies, like family histories, ancestry, where you came from. And, And it was important to people to actually locate themselves in a bigger story. And so as Matthew writes his gospel and wants to introduce us to Jesus, he does it by taking us back into Jesus' family story. And some of the people that were sitting at that table become part of Jesus' family story. Matthew says this, Abraham was the father of Isaac. And Isaac was the father of Jacob. And Jacob was the father of Judah. Leah's fourth son. And Judah was the father of, and they were the father, and it goes on, and there's like 42 generations or something mentioned. The father of, was the father of, was the father of. They were the father of Jesse, it says. And Jesse was the father of David. And David was the father of Solomon. Solomon was the father of, and it goes on, more and more generations who was the father of Manasseh, who was the father of Amon, who was the father of Josiah, who was the father of Mathan, who was the father of Jacob, who was the father of Joseph. Not that Jacob and Joseph, but the Joseph that was the husband of Mary, who was the mother of Jesus. That messy family became part of the family line of Jesus. But as you read through the story, some names in there that are familiar. Jesse, the father of David. David, the Bible tells us, was a man after God's own heart. The Bible also tells us that he was an adulterer and a murderer. David was the father of Solomon, was one of the wisest people that's ever lived, responsible for writing some of the wisdom literature in our scripture. But the Bible also tells us that in his latter life, he fell in love with some women who took his heart away from the things of God as he pursued relationship with them. We get further into Jesus' family line and we meet a guy by the name of Manasseh. And when you read about Manasseh, all it says about him was he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And Manasseh was involved in a whole bunch of messed up stuff. Manasseh was a king and he shed innocent blood and he tore down all places that worshipped God. He worshipped idols. He consulted spiritists and mediums. And there's a whole bunch of other really R-rated stuff in the reign of Manasseh. And the Manasseh had a son, Amon. And all the Bible tells us is that Amon continued in the way of his father. But then Amon has a son named Josiah. The Bible tells us that Josiah comes into power at eight years old and then goes on to say that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Sometimes it takes children to show the adults how to do it right, doesn't it? Josiah was a good king, but his father and his grandfather weren't. But they're all mentioned in Matthew chapter 1 as part of the line and the story of Jesus. You see, Jesus came from a very messy family. The Saviour of the world, the Son of God, the one who clothed Himself in flesh and blood to come as the Redeemer came from a really messy family. 
So I just want to say to you today, there's hope for your messy family. And it close a little bit differently today. Because I'd, I'd love to pray for family groups. But that gets a little bit hard. But I want to say, if you would love me just to pray for your family group, if you're here as a family today, and you just go, man, we just need to put God in the centre of this story. And we're not here to compare the messiest story. You may not have a very messy story, but you know that you need God's help to keep your family. Maybe you're here, you're a grandparent, you've got a aching and a yearning in your heart for some of your kids or your grandkids that have walked away from their faith. Maybe you're a kid and you've got a yearning in your heart for your parents that have never discovered the love and the grace of Jesus. And right now you just want to say, God, would you do a good work in my messy family? I just want to pray a blessing over you this morning. Pray God's grace into your story and pray that God will begin and start to build a great legacy in your family story. So I don't know how to really to facilitate this, but if you would like us to pray for your family. Why don't you as a family, or whoever, even if you're here by yourself and you just want to stand in the place of your family, why don't you just stand right now and then we'll work out how we're going to do this. Pray a blessing over your family. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au. 